Welcome back to Lucky's Lounge, everybody. Captain Ron Flanders with my partner in crime, Guillermo Diaz. And we're starting a new segment here or a new show idea called Lucky's Chats, where we talk to Celtics current, Celtics past, and people with a close affiliation with the Celtics. And our first guest is somebody that many of you are following on X. It's Ramblin' Wreck 34, none other than Mr. Richard White. And uh, Richard, I have to say, we're very honored to have you on Lucky's inside Lucky's Lounge. Oh, thank thank you for having me. I'm I'm looking forward to you know getting out and discussing the uh, current state of affairs. Yes, we are too. Uh, before we do that, though, we want to get into a little about Richard White and get get to know you, you know, a little bit more because, like any fan base, the Celtics have their their big fans, their diehards, like Guillermo and myself. They also have celebrity fans and fans who have clout. And I think since Derek White made that miracle tip in down in South Beach in game six of the ECF last year, I'd say that you're becoming one of those people, uh, a very important voice on Celtics Twitter to the point now where the Celtics are promoting you on their platform. So let's just start with the fact that you grew up a Celtics fan. Is that right? That that's correct. I I grew up in the, as a Celtics fan, born in 1960. So um, yeah, I, ever ever since then, uh, kind of had a little hiatus, when, you know, when uh, Derek got involved in the NBA. So I, it's like family over everything. But yeah, the Celtics are still there. But when you were growing up, I mean, it was still kind of the heyday. You had Sanders and the Joneses and Russell and all those guys. Did you? have a chance to go to the garden and see those guys? Or did you ever meet any of those players? Uh, I met them. I don't recall ever going to the garden and seeing a game. Um, I, I met them at uh, a local barbershop. Um, so um, that was that was kind of my introduction to, to celebrity status, was uh, <laughs> getting my hair cut in front of uh, the world champions. Yeah. So, I mean, it's always been kind of, you know, with the Celtics. Um, one Another story is uh, we live out here in Colorado and they had the NBA All-Star game a while back. Derek was just young and everything. So we went to one of the, you know, the pregame festivities and stuff. And Jojo White was there. So we, we got in the line because Jojo was my favorite player. And so um, we got in line. We waited, we waited, we waited. And then. You know, it, it was going to be close with the time, and we got right up to the, the you know, we were going to be the next people, and they called it. So we, we could see JoJo. We were right there, but we didn't get to go actually get up there and, and talk to him directly. A Kansas Jayhawk and, and one of the greatest players, uh, really, in Celtic history. He was. He was. And yeah, I mean, he was, he was, he was everything to me, you know, you know, growing up. Um, um, my dad did, they came to Atlanta and they had a game and my dad got a, got a, an autograph from him. And it was a picture of me wearing a Celtics Jersey. Cause that was our, our team was the Celtics. And I had the number 10 in white on the back. So I thought I was the, the best player ever. And the autograph did, uh, he said, uh, rich drive on, see you in the NBA. So it just kind of skipped a generation, but we're there. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Tell us <laughs> where you went from Boston. How'd you get to Georgia Tech and how the White family ended up in Parker, Colorado? Um, 
So we, we lived in uh, Maryland. My dad worked uh, with the Food and Drug Administration. So he was in the federal government. So he got, you know, he got transferred multiple times. So we ended up going into Atlanta. And then from Atlanta, uh, that's, you know, where I went to Georgia Tech. And then my dad got transferred again, and we ended up going out back to Colorado. So I went to school out here in Colorado. That's that's pretty neat. Uh, a lot of a lot of big basketball, a lot of football fans up there. A lot of good basketball fans as well. Uh, Richard, I want to say something. I I look at our society today, and I just think that we need so many more Richard White and Derek Whites in this world. I don't think there's a bigger compliment you can give to anybody than to say that they are a great husband and a father. And, you know, if you listen to Derek speak, it's clear that you are a member of that elite fraternity. Your love for him is on display every time that he talks, whether it's about you or just in general. And it's clear you've raised a great man and a great citizen. What was your dad like? And uh, what does fatherhood mean to you? It's clearly something very important in your in your life. Uh, it does. Um, you know, my dad... You know, even though he was working in the federal government, uh, you know, it, it would sometimes take him away on, you know, business trips and, and the like. But every time he was around at any one of my games, whether it be football, baseball or basketball, he, he, he was always there. Uh, I, I remember that, you know, he even worked the concession stands and stuff at, uh, at basketball games. You know, uh, he, he would do the... Uh, you know the lower lower games and the JV games, and then he would be in the stands to to watch me play. So it's very important that you're you're there and you're uh, you know present in 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 the kids' lives, doing what they they want to do and not what you want them to do. So you know, as far as the family, we never it's like oh Derek's got to play basketball. I mean, I like basketball, but he. He uh, he did baseball, basketball, football, tennis. I mean, whatever it was, you just go and support. I mean, we're kind of a, a sports family. My daughter played basketball too. So, um, and then and then after she gave up basketball, she went into cheerleading, and she she was a, a very good cheerleader. It's it seems like a lot of these NBA players, you know, they're. They're, I mean, you look at like Bronny James or some of these other guys, their parents aren't pushing them into the game, whereas people who don't get it try to live vicariously through their kids. It sounds like this was just something Derek wanted to do, maybe because you played. Yeah. So, I mean, like like you just pointed out, it's like if you, you push and try to, you know, over-engineer them to be something it doesn't work nearly as well as if it you know happens organically so uh you know whatever sport he wanted to gravitate to i mean he was playing baseball and and tennis and everything and then you know uh was it in, at the end of ninth grade going into 10th grade um they had they had this rule that if you you know play the sport you couldn't do others another sports activities so mm-hmm. So, you know, he was playing tennis and, 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 and baseball, but then he couldn't do basketball related activities with some of the team and stuff. So that's when he made the decision that he was going to just just do basketball. And it, it, it didn't hurt that, you know, on the baseball team, uh, they had a freshman coming up named Bobby Dahlbeck. So they. Oh, wow. They didn't, <laughs> they didn't miss Derek. Too much. <laughs> 
So we we hear a lot about Richard White, but you're only half of the equation. Tell us about Colleen White. Is she a basketball fan? And what does he get from her? Uh, yeah, she's really in, into basketball. She, uh, you know, she likes to teach him weird, weird things like the, <laughs> the, the poorly bird defense and, 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 uh, you know, pass to yourself, uh, mm. different things. She's always been there to all the games. Um, basically, you know, our, our family vacations were, you know, where are our kids playing that day? So a lot mm. of sights and signs uh, that we've seen in, in, you know, the, in the United States are off of some sort of tournament or cheerleading competition. So, you know, wherever the kids go, we, we just, you just make it happen. You, you kind of don't, you know, analyze it and it's like, Oh, can we really afford to do that? It's like, you know, this is something that they want you, you know, it means a lot to them for you to be present. Yeah, most definitely. And now that Derek and Hannah have brought two young men into the world, you have a new role, your grandfather. What's that like, and how often do you get to see them? You know, we used to get to see them a few times, a few times a year. We we were just there maybe at the, at, at near the end of January uh, when they had that that uh, three game home stand. So um, it's it's incredible watching watching both of them raise raise these these two young men. Uh, you know, going in, you don't really know how it's gonna you know, turn out, it's like, you know, he, he always says, you know, when other people had babies, I couldn't, I couldn't pick them up. I couldn't do anything with them. But when his, his sons were born, like, he's like in there, he's, you know, changing diapers, he's giving them baths, he's, you know, they're, they're playing and, and, uh, you know, and he tries to, tries to keep up with them as best he can, especially on road trips, but, you know, iPhones and FaceTime and stuff so they can kind of see him and, you know, he kind of, not that they understand completely, but it's like, okay, Hendrix, I'll be back in like three sleeps when they go on. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, and they're always glad to see him when it, when they come back and, you know, it, it, it's kind of a way to keep you grounded. I mean, because sometimes you know you go through go go through things and things don't go well necessarily on the court, but you come home and you know Hendrix is over at the ball pit shooting balls into a basket and they're laughing, <laughs> have a good good old time. You know, as a father, you know I I can relate to something that Derek said when you joined him and Mark D'Amico and Sean Grandy on View from the Rafters. He said it makes me want to be a better person. It, it makes me a better person and it makes me a better player. And it's, I laughed when he said that because it seems like after Hendricks was born and, and you would probably say, well, he's the same player. He's just getting more, you know, he's got, now that he's a Celtic, he's on more national games or whatever the case. But to me, it seemed like he got better. He made all defensive team, et cetera. Then Dax comes in and I mean, he's at an all-star level. He's, one of the top leaders in net rating or whatever. Can you convince him to maybe have a couple more kids so we can see <laughs> the realm of the possibility? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't know. We're, we're just trying to get through through this year, you know. <laughs> Andrew was born, they went to the finals, and then, you know, Dax was born. We'll see where that takes us. So, um, would you know, if 
you know, if that's something that, you know, it's like, okay, then maybe that's something. Cause you know, like you said, some people are superstitious. I, I, I'm superstitious. So I'm oh very boy. Oh no, not another one. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's, it's bad. I mean, when, you know, we, we went through the, you know, the slight slump about a week or so ago. So I had to revert back to the, uh, 2004 Red Sox seats when they were down 3-0. Yeah. I sat in the exact same seat. I didn't get the mail until after the game. <laughs> I was not about to break the streak. No way. When we went down 3 nothing to Miami. I was telling my team, at, I work at U.S. Strategic Command, all these military people and come in, and we have a meeting every morning at, at 9 in the morning, and I'd, I'd say, the Boston Celtics are down 3-0. It has never happened in the history of of the NBA that a team has come down from 3-0 to, to win. I said, after the Celtics win tonight, they're going to win game five. They're going to win game six. And after they win game seven, I'm going to shave my head and run a half marathon. <laughs> and they were all laughing. Like, I mean, they'd watch the first three games and darn if they didn't force a game seven, but uh, you know, you and I could probably relate very much on that, on that superstition level. And, and that, <laughs> I just think that these young boys are, obviously a blessing from God, but also maybe it portends good things for the Celtics. And I like that Derek is kind of in a show of solidarity with them. He's, he's kind of adopted their hairstyle. Although I imagine they're growing their hair out quite a bit by now. Oh yeah. They, they're definitely, I mean, they, they were, I mean, uh, you know, Hendrix has got a full head of hair and Daxton, he was born with hair. I was like, <laughs> really, it's really a, a, an impressive, uh, uh, mane of hair that 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 he has so yeah so, i mean whatever whatever you know whatever it takes i mean you just have to find what works for you i mean for for like you and me Ron, you know the superstitions are a way to go and and if if it's not that it, it's you know it doesn't have to be <laughs> we're, we're all celtic fans and at the end of the day you 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 kind of live with the chips as they as they may i think our celtic fan base though is far more i mean that we made a movie about it celtic pride right and it's mm -hmm. not far from the truth our fan base and red sox fans too but especially celtic fans i think are the more most superstitious in the league final question i want to ask you i in doing research for this and uh you know i was a sportscaster in south texas for a couple of years um i think it might be before the time that Derek was drafted by the team but i did notice that in the HEB bobblehead that Derek, you know, was honored with that were given out to the fans, he has a basketball in one hand and in the other hand, it looks like he's got a butterfly. Can you tell us about the inspiration for that bobblehead and, and kind of Derek, the man ha is doing big things off the court. Yes. Uh, that, that butterfly is uh, a symbol from Morgan's Wonderland, which is in the San Antonio area. It's an inclusive amusement park. Uh, mm -hmm. it's very uh, handicap accessible, uh, all the rides, you know, and anybody can ride. So it's not, you know, sometimes you go to certain rides and it's not, you know, feasible for some people to ride. And so this place has it where everybody can ride. And he was big on Morgan's Wonderland. Uh, it's for Special Olympics. Um, mm -hmm. um, his his aunt is a Special Olympian, and she's very good at swimming. And mm -hmm. and that's, so that's always been a big major part of of our family going up. Uh, 
uh, his his grandfather does a lot of uh, fundraising for Special Olympics, and so he has a he has a, an event each year that he raises a lot of money. And Derek Derek contributes a lot to Special Olympics. And if there's something in you know with Special Olympics and they they need they need a representative, Derek is Derek is up there. Uh, we were there last year, and they had a Special Olympic event in in TD Gardens, and so we got to go to that, and that was that was incredible. Uh, that's that's really cool. I think that Special Olympics is such a noble mission. It it it's a way to combine sports. I mean, you think about the the millions of people who have disabilities, and you know, the fact that they're able to have a normal life and experience the thrill of competition. Of, of camaraderie with teammates and, and working together. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And, and we would be remiss if we did not point out to our listeners that coming up later this month and just a couple of weeks, February 28th, Derek will be having a bowling fundraising event that you can compete in the strikes for special Olympics, Massachusetts. This is coming up uh, on February 28th for more inf- information. You can email bowl at special Olympics, and uh, I imagine you could meet Derek White there and, and help raise some money for a very noble cause. That'd be very good. That's like I said, it's something that's near and dear to our family. And, and you know, getting involved in the community, it doesn't take I mean, it doesn't take a lot of, of energy, but the benefits are tenfold, whatever, whatever amount of time that you go, the, the look on people's faces when, when he shows up to an event, or if you're, if we're going to the store and we're with him or go to church, um, I mean, in San Antonio, we still remember that one time we went to, we went to, we went to church and we were sitting in uh, like the third row and then this family came in late and they were, they sat in the front row and, you know, as they were walking in, the kid turned and got glanced and it was like, Oh my gosh, that's Derek White, and <laughs> that was that was pretty cool. And we kind of got a laugh out of it because at our church in Colorado, we were, you know, um, some of the ABS coaches and st- staff were there, uh, so it was like Christmas. And Derek turned around, and he goes, "That's Bob Hartley." <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> well, when we come back, we're going to hear about the players or player that Derek White, the little youngster, looked up to in Colorado. And what about the relationship between Richard and Derek White helped mold Derek White into the player he is today? We'll have more on this when we come back. Thank you for listening to Lucky's Chats. Stay right there. Welcome back to Lucky's Lounge. The captain, Ron Flanders, here with Guillermo Diaz. And in our inaugural edition of Lucky's Chats, we also have the Ramblin' Wreck 34, Mr. Richard White. Guillermo, you have a question that's very pressing on my mind. Yes. Richard, I have to ask, tell us about your hoop career. Do you still play basketball? Uh, I, I don't play as much anymore. Um, I played basketball up until uh, high school, all the way to senior senior year. Um I was really good in, in youth basketball because I, I could I could dribble and pass and take charges. So that was that was my my forte. And then in, in high school, it was uh, it was, you know, we we weren't necessarily the best team or I think 
the tallest person we had was like six five and you know in, in Atlanta that's in the Atlanta area that's not gonna get it done so, <laughs> so it was it was pretty good I mean I I did um like like Georgia Tech, they were just into the ACC at that time, so they were just kind of starting out. Um, I I had a chance where a coach was watching me play in the senior year. Um, we had a playoff game, and i i had i had I had a really good game, and so they they came back out and they were going to watch me play, and then unfortunately we played the number two team in the state. Oof. And they they put their all state safety on me and said I was not allowed at <laughs> all. <laughs> so so needless to say, I think go well and and uh my career didn't go any further. So uh you you played rec ball, you did you play intramural at, at Georgia Tech and, and you yeah. still play a little bit now? Uh not as much. Um uh I could still shoot, so I, I still I still do standstill shooting and free throws and stuff, but uh, actually, you know, five on five, uh, that's kind of passed me by. Well, I know that, you know, Hendricks and Daxton have a great coach living with them, but maybe you can, you can still provide some of that mentorship, which is kind of what I want to ask about now. When Derek White was growing up there in Colorado, um, what role did you have? Did you coach him in youth basketball? Yeah, I coached him. Um, uh, yeah, it was me and uh, Steve Elliott. Uh, we were we coached him pretty much from you know second grade up until sixth grade. So we we were their we were their coaches, and so we we uh, kind of we did well because we both of our sons, uh, Derek and Reese, were were very good players, and we we knew how to to incorporate them. But that's, that, that was the main thing is when you play basketball, it's like, it's five in five out. And so we originally started with Derek would have his five and Reese would have his five. And, and, and so that way one of them was on the floor at all times. And, you know, earlier in the first segment, you asked about Colleen. And so Colleen said, well, you, you have a decent team and there's another kid named Derek so why don't you put Derek, Derek, and you know the the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth guys put them all in a five, and then have Derek and Reese in the other five, and so with her suggestion, we did that, and we we won championship after championship. Wow, well, I like that too because then the kids kind of get to play even minutes, which I think is really important in mm-hmm. youth basketball. You mentioned that when you were a youth player, you were taking charges. Uh, having coached youth, youth basketball myself for going on 30 years, I, that is rare. So I, I see a guy who took charges as a kid, a guy who has a very analytical mind. If you're following Richard on X, you know this. And it just seems like a natural for the way that Derek is today. Did What did you talk to him about? Because it seems like he has the finer points of the game down a lot of, you know, a lot of the stars um, don't necessarily have that. What type of things were you teaching him instead of just shooting and passing and dribbling? Were you, were you telling him some of those things? Well, try to incorporate the whole thing where there's other things to do in basketball. I mean, there's always, 
there's always a role for you if you can do some of the little things. Um, kind of look at it where even in the NBA now, it's like each team has two to three of, you know, quote unquote scores. You can, you can pick who they are. I mean, Celtics have the Jays, you know, the Nuggets have Jokic and Murray, you know, it goes on and on. But if each team has two to three scorers, that's, you know, like nine, that's 90 players in the league that are scorers. There's 450 with guaranteed contracts. So that means there's 360 people that have to do something more than just score. It's not, not saying that they can't score, but you need to be able to, to function off of those guys so that you can, you can, you can get on the court. Cause if your whole thing is I'm going to try to outscore Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, well, you're not better than them. So the coach is going to look at it like, well, why am we going to play somebody who, you know, people like to imitate things, but they imitate things that they, they can't, they can't replicate. It's one thing to imitate. It's another thing to replicate. So uh, we always worked on different things. Uh, He was the point guard, but that, you know, in youth sports, sometimes the coach's kid, oh, he's the point guard and he takes all the shots because he never passes to anybody. We we Mm. were completely opposite. Um, Yeah. So, you know, and then once we put Derek and Reese together, then Derek could pass, Reese could shoot. Whereas before, when Reese was running his own five, he had to be a distributor. So we we maximized maximized our our abilities in, in that way. Because the main thing is to win. Because if you win, you know, everybody gets, oh, there's eight games in the season. Then there's the playoffs. And if you win, you get another game. And if you win, you go to the championship game. So that's, you know, you pay for eight and you play 11. You know, you're, you, you, you know, you get so many guaranteed games, like in baseball. Everybody gets three games and then it's after that. So, yeah, bonus time. Yeah. You, you always want to get more than more than your money's worth. Derek also had a couple other big mentors in Denver. One was Coach Marcus Mason, and the other was Chauncey Billups. How big were those two in stoking Derek's fire? Yeah, it's an incredible. Uh, I mean, we went through a whole lot of things. Um, basically, you know, like I said, I, I did coach him, but sometimes you need that buffer between parent, dad, and coach. It's kind of hard for the kid to really separate which voice that they're hearing because each voice has a different role, and mm. so you have to know which which role to to, to fill. So they could tune you out. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. You don't want to get to the point where they tune you out. So you know, we got lucky that we you know crossed paths with Marcus, who is just uh, he was. Uh, uh, assistant coach at the University of Denver and he'd come out of middle Tennessee state. So, uh, you know, we crossed paths with him. He was starting his, uh, you know, individual training uh, program. And so we got involved with that. And, uh, you know, there were other kids in the area, you know, more highly touted than Derek that, you know, we're also going to Marcus and everything. And, you know, and as Marcus would say, you know, he looked at him and he said, uh, you know, I didn't see much in, you know, in Derek. He was uh, just, <laughs> you know, he's, uh, he, he was small at that time. I mean, yeah. he had, he had skills, but he didn't have any strength. And, 
you know, he knew how to play the game, but, you know, some of the physical attributes were, were, were not there at that time. So Marcus was like working him and Marcus came, you know, from his, you know, coaching background, he coached everybody the same, whether you were a prospective D1 uh, recruit, or if you were just somebody just trying to, you know, play in, in, in rec leagues, he coached each, each kid hard. Derek come back and say, he'd be exhausted. He said, this man's trying to kill me. (laughs) I never worked hard in my life, but he always went back. So he wasn't shying away from, you know, the hard work and effort that it it took. And so he worked on the same skills with some of the other players in the area that, you know, ended up getting D1 scholarships and, and, and going to play, you know, D1 basketball. And then after his senior year, he, you know, then we got lucky and got uh, to UCCS. You know, he had that growth spurt. So, I mean, to a lesser extent, I mean, they, you, you hear stories like, like Anthony Davis was a guard most of his life. Then he grew to be 6'10". So, but he still has the guard skills because that's what he had. So mm-hmm. Derek, Derek had the, the skills and then when he grew to be like six four, then it, it took over. You know, he was stronger. He could jump. He could uh, he could hold the line a lot better on drives and not get bumped. You know, uh, lightly. So, um, so I mean, I guess that's you know, for kids, it's like learn the fundamentals, not to be something, but to to have that in your toolbox. And then when your your body actually catches up to you, then you know, then you can really explode. You know, I've, I've, that, that's a great point, Richard. And I've coached youth sports. I've coached AAU and you see a lot of players who have the gifts and they are those D one blue chip recruits. And not all of them grasp the nuances of the game, the defensive, you know, nuances, moving without the ball, you know, all of those things. And you said that Derek knew the game, maybe, because he was hearing it from you and he was understanding how to play the game. And then he bloomed late. He grew into that body and that maybe unlocked another level for him, but was Derek's unique path in terms of being smaller, growing up, working with you and and your assistant coach, and then just having, you know, Marcus, working on his body. And, and I mean, it's, it seems like a perfect way to mold a player of Derek's caliber. I I would say that most of those guys that were quote unquote, the man, the AAU stars, I dare say would not have tipped that ball in, in Miami. I mean, it, it takes somebody that really has a deep understanding of the game to make a play like that. Yeah, that's, you know, that, that, that's, well, for one, you, you, a lot of those other ones, they would they would be working to get the ball to take that final shot. So they right. they they wouldn't, you know. And you know, the main thing with that play, because like my wife always was like, with the three seconds left, what's going to happen? And I like say, well, Derek's going to inbound the ball because the coach is going to put his best passer on that spot. So when you see, you know, the final seconds or whatever. Whoever whoever's inbounding is is the best passer. Now, 
that's like 90% of the time, unless it's like an end game situation and you know, they're going to foul. Then sometimes Derek doesn't inbound the ball because they would want him to get the ball to get fouled. But so you, so once you inbound it, you know, he, he's done that many times. He did that in San Antonio. He didn't bound the ball to, you know, DeMar DeRozan. And then he would go, you know, shuffle off, you know, space the floor. So one of these days they're going to pass the ball back to him. But when, as soon as he didn't get, you know, one, they took away uh, Tatum. So they took away Brown and then he hit smart because Horford was in the far corner that that pass could never be made. So, so he got it to smart. And then he, when he saw Marcus turn to shoot, he, he went from spotting up uh, beyond the three point line to darting to the basket and, the ball just happened to bounce. It happened to bounce perfectly. Uh, so I mean, I mean, as long as as soft as Marcus shot the ball, the Celtics were were probably going to win the game. Because if he shot it soft and it went to the right, Tatum was there to lay it in, and but it came to the left and Derek laid it in. But I feel like just the, Derek is his unique path. You know made him into the player that, that he is. And I, I feel like uh, sometimes when you're questioning, well, you know, why am I not as big as these other guys? Why I'm not being recruited? I mean, I think Marcus said, you know, Derek represents the kid that got cut. He represents, you know, somebody that we can all kind of relate to, but that's not a bad thing. I feel like it made him into a better basketball player and maybe he's passed most of those blue chip guys because they didn't have a Richard White in their ear. You control what you can control. Uh, so, you know, a, a lot of things kind of work out for how, how it is. Uh, he, you know, he wasn't on like the, the biggest and best AAU teams. Um, basically they just took their high school and went to, you know, select events. It's like, Oh, okay. We want to go to Vegas. Uh, we want to go to, to Texas, um, and then we went to Nebraska, you know, th- those kind of things. We never went to like Atlanta or, or Kansas or California, some of the, you know, the big, the big hot spots and stuff. So, you know, it's like you go, you play, um, you play for the love of the game. I mean, you go to right. Vegas, you're on, you're on the auxiliary gym of some little high school, seven or eight miles off of the strip. Oh, wow. and, and there's no coaches. I mean, they have chairs for coaches, but in the auxiliary gym, there are no, there are no, there are no coaches there. So, so as far as like, you know, looked at, you know, for scholarships and stuff. So, um, you're, you're going to just to, to have fun. Um, their high school team was just starting out when Derek got to high school. That was the first year that school was in, in existence. So, their varsity team was a bunch of freshmen and they had to go play other varsity teams that had seniors. Um, you know, the next year they were sophomores and then juniors and then seniors. But when they went and played, you know, on the AAU circuit, you know, they didn't win a lot of games, but they found out what things would work. So um, it helped them build the school, helped them build the culture there. And, you know, uh, they got, they got to the, they got to the Sweet 16 in, in their senior year. 
Um, they were it, it helped build the Derek White that that we love today. Yes. Richard, why was going to the Spurs the perfect part of God's plan for Derek? Well, because the, the the Spurs, you know, they talk about the Spurs way, and you know, Coach Pops, you know, one of the greatest coaches of of all time, and you know, they have a plan, and it it, it was perfect. I mean, their their whole thing is you have to be able to get over yourself. Uh, it's about a team, and not necessarily about you know an individual person. And, you know, sure, everybody would, would like to play, but, or, or even like to, you know, sit, you know, have a, have a jersey or whatever. So it's kind of like the college thing where, you know, everybody says, hey, I want to go play at North Carolina. Like, yeah, you could play at North Carolina. You could have a jersey and you could never end up taking your warm ups off because mm. there's just so much talent. So when he was in San Antonio, it was like, oh, okay, you know, Kawhi Leonard's there. Tony Parker's still there. Ginobili's there. I mean, there's tons of, of, of talent. So he wasn't going to get a lot of chance to play. And, you know, they had just come off, you know, going to the Western Conference Finals the year before. And so it's like, go to the G League. And, you know, we had these discussions with him. And this is the second time we had that first time we had it was when he went to UCCS and they told him he was going to redshirt. You know, some parents would be like, no, my kid's too good to redshirt. What are you doing? Or whatever. But it was like, he was just growing into his body. He wasn't, he, he got to a point where he was like uh, a baby giraffe when they're born. <laughs> they can't really move. I mean, they got these long legs and they just, it's just not cooperating. So that yeah, so redshirt, that would give him a, a year to, you know, work his body and, you know, get used to everything and then go from there. But I uh, said, you know, when you practice, those are your games because you can't play in the games because you're redshirting. Right. But every practice is your game. So you need to you need to play as hard and as good as you can during those practices. Well, we're very lucky. We're very lucky, Richard, that he did experience the Spurs way. And when we come back, we're going to hear about from Greg Popovich to Joe Mazzulla, the, the Spurs loss became the Celtics gain. And we'll talk about, well, Richard White, we'll talk about the toxicity of Celtic fans on X, as well as what he thinks the Celtics can accomplish this season. You are listening to Lucky's Lounge. Stay right there. Welcome back to Lucky's Lounge and Lucky's Chats with Richard White, Guillermo Diaz, and I am the captain, Ron Flanders. Derek White has a plus-minus of 8.2. His net rating is fourth best in the league, averaging 32 minutes, just about 16 points a game, just about 40% from deep, almost 89% from the foul line, four rebounds a game, and 1.2 blocks per game. All career highs. And, of course, the Celtics, six games at, at the time of this taping ahead of the rest of the Eastern Conference. So I ask you, Richard, uh, before the season, we heard that Brad Stevens might be trying to talk Derek into an extension. Could you please get him to stay with your favorite team until he retires? We all <laughs> want to see him here for a very long time. Yeah. I mean, that that's the plan, everybody. But uh... – We'll see how every everything goes, but right now it's you know try to win banner eighteen and then 
we'll see. Everything else will fall into place after that. That's right. We got. I mean, and that's that goes for for everybody. I mean, uh, I I really believe that everything will fall into place. But yeah, if the Celtics value this player and and they should because arguably he has been our most valuable player i would argue that um they they better they better pay up but uh very happy to see him with us for the next couple of years right richard what do you think of year two of joe mazula with the new coaching staff uh so i mean this is a whole lot more advanced than it was the previous year um you know, they just gotten into the finals and then right before the season started, everything was was in place, then it wasn't. And so it was kind of, you know, he kind of got dropped right in the middle of something and had to kind of learn on the fly. So, um, you know, this year it's been a, a whole lot different thing. He's, you know, he's more sure of himself. I mean, it's no different than, you know, uh, last, you know, the first year, you know, February 10th, Derek gets traded to Boston. He gets dropped into a team that's playing really well. And you have to try to find your footing. Joe kind of got dropped in. Team's very good. Try to find your footing. Second year, Derek is, he's a lot more comfortable and the team knows him and he knows them and he's playing really well. And the same goes for, for Joe as, as a coach. So, you know, um, Joe is a, an incredible, insightful man, and he has he has a chance to put his stamp on it. You know, some of the, like you said, you know, on X, some of it that kind of rankles me is everything's supposed to be like it's a done a done deal, but the season's not over, yeah. and some of the train wrecks that we see online, <laughs> you know, it, it makes it, it it makes no sense because. They could win or they could lose. And right now, both sides are right. And both sides want to argue as if their, their way is the only way. So um, you kind of kind of let it let it play out. It's like, oh, this team, oh, they're not going to be able to do this in the playoffs. You've never seen this collection of guys in the playoffs. Nobody has. Yeah. So mm -hmm. my main thing is just to put out, you know, data points. So. The stuff I put out is is all it is actual data. That's that, that that's what it is. You you can say yay or nay about you know Derek's abilities or whatever, but that's that's what it is. So if every after every game, I, you know, I put out the defensive numbers. It's I don't disappear if he doesn't have a good defensive game, and I don't show up bright and early if he has a great defensive game. It, it's in the, it's in Where do you game. get those numbers, by the way? I get it from the uh, NBA.com website. If you, it's it's called the game books, and so if you game book for a, an individual game, and then you go to the box score, they have a, a little filter window where you can get the traditional stats, you know, points, free throws, and that. And that. Then they have the advanced stats, which have the the offensive and defensive rating, and then they have the defense, which puts out the defensive numbers. And then they have the hustle stats, which does contested shots. There, there's even one where if you want to, you know, filter it down to individual matchups. So like when, you know, you play the Lakers and, and, you, and you put offensive, you know, defensive player, Derek White, then it lists all the people that he guarded 
during that game for how long and you know what they wow. show. Well, you you do the work what so that we don't have to. I, I say <laughs> that you know you're putting this out every day. Derek's already an All NBA defender, right? But it, it kind of puts a little bit of pressure on him because it's like Dad's watching and and all of my defensive stuff is being put out there for a large following. But but maybe that helps. I mean, he seems locked in defensively every night. No, sometimes he goes, that doesn't look, that's not right or whatever, but they're, they're actually, you know, it is from the, you know, the website. I don't know where or how they come up with the numbers that they do, but that, that, that's what they are. How do you feel this season, uh, Derek White not having to deal with fighting for guard minutes with Smart and Brogdon's departures? I mean, it's always a, a, a welcome thing where, you can be your yourself, um, and it's kind of like like Memphis. They had like thirteen people on the injury report, right? Right. And then you know, guys like Gilliard and Williams and Hurt, and, and those guys they they went out and played well. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of they'll say, "Oh, the hospital Celtics," you know, of like a game when <laughs> I hate both that. Jay, both Jay, I, I hate that too. But you know, in both Jays. Uh, you know, you know, don't play or anything. But the the main thing is, the players in the league are talented. Any player could technically be there, but you know, sometimes there's a pecking order, and you know, you just don't get it, your opportunity. But when people are out, you get to play free. I mean, we saw that with the Lakers; they got to play free. They didn't have mm-hmm. to worry if the ball goes out of bounds you're not waiting for the horn looking over to the scores table and say, Oh, I'm coming out. You're not coming out. They don't have anybody else. So you, you play better. I mean, you could play bad, but most of the time you play better because you're not worried about, Oh, if I miss this shot or I miss this read, I'm going to be, I'm going to be on the bench for the next seven minutes. There is nothing. So you go out and play, you play free and you end up more more times than not playing well. That, that seemed to be, unlocked a new level for Derek in a sense. I mean, obviously he's the ultimate teammate and um, you know, the Celtics acquired another ultimate teammate in Drew Holiday, but the departures of, of those guards, you know, the Celtics have the rotation locked in. They have great talent with Porzingis. Now the bench seems to be playing better. And you talked about Missoula and, and maybe him leveling up with new assistants and Van Gundy coming in, all this stuff. So everything is, Looking great right now, and yet, you know, in Derek's first half season with the team, they looked like they were on the cusp of winning it. And some would say they choked. And they lost three games at home against Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, isn't it only natural to have some people doubt this team? I mean, they're just going to have to prove it, aren't they? Yeah, but it's – yeah, and I – but I think that's part of the the, the learning curve, um, you know, and people want to take, you know, shots at, at Joe and say he doesn't make adjustments, but he does make adjustments and people just don't want to ever give him credit. Um, last year, they played Atlanta. They went with their starting lineup. It was Derek, Marcus, the Jays, and, and uh, Orford. So the you know they or 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 Rob so they they went with that the, the that lineup and against Atlanta they won four two, uh, 
And so they they stayed with that lineup against Philadelphia. Well, that lineup didn't work against Philadelphia. And mm-hmm. getting down 3-2, and they went to the double big lineup. Derek came off the bench. They won the series. Transferred to Miami. We just won with the double big lineup. So they went with that. And so the first three games was a double big lineup. And then midway to the third, they, 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 the second, you know, cause they were getting beat pretty bad in the, the third game. Second half of the third, they went back to the Atlanta lineup and they had some success. And so they started that one in game four, five and six. And if Tatum doesn't turn his ankle, then maybe, yeah. So he did make the adjust. Do you think it's because he's so young that Missoula doesn't, that might be part of it, right? I mean, he's, he's, Looks like he could still play. He's 34, 35 years old. He still plays. But I yeah. mean, the main thing, especially with the social media thing, it's not so much that person. It's it's not it's you're not somebody's favorite person. Mm. So there's still a lot of people out there that are still clamoring for for Ime. And no matter what what Joe does, short of winning the title, because if he wins the title, then they just got to shut up. But mm-hmm. it, until he wins a title, they can always say, well, you know, it's always this. Or, or, he may got us to the finals. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We were, we were uh, a Jimmy Butler shot away from having them do to us what we did to them, you know, you know in game six. I mean, there, there's like certain things that no matter how well they do, people are going to hold on to the narrative that, that, Joe, that Joe can't coach. And until he wins the title, they're just going to keep doubling down on the Joe can't coach because, I mean, at the end, there's only two, there's only two outcomes. You either, you either do or you don't. Yeah. And they're going to keep down hoping that at the end you don't because they just keep going, just keep going or, or Tatum can't do this and whatever. I mean, literally the man has been in the Eastern conference title game five out of seven years or you know five times out of seven years there's a lot of other people you know we're putting up great numbers that haven't made that many things sure he's only made it to the finals once out of out of those five but that's more than everybody else that every you know other than lebron and them but anybody who hasn't won that people say are, are the greatest players of all time they haven't even gotten there so I mean, pretty much social media is you get you get slammed for accomplishing but not completing. You might as well not do it at all because then your right. repu- your reputation's not sullied, which goes back to you know drafting. It's like, oh, this guy is coming out. You know, he's a, a number one pick, but he hasn't done anything, and it, you get all these accolades. And you haven't done anything. Meanwhile, other people have done something and not won a championship. They're they're lower on the totem pole than someone who hasn't done anything at all. Yeah, they, they would say John Stockton is a lesser player than say Gary Payton or or you know even Derek Fisher, just because it's the Celtics kind of spoiled everybody. They made the ring the thing, you know, Magic and mm-hmm. Bird. But it really isn't fair. But it, there is a lot of pressure on Tatum and, and Missoula and and really this whole team. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's only one outcome. I mean, you can even see it in the, you know, the, the shows and everything. You know, I, I look now, so they're, what, they're 38 and 12. 
And basically their record is, you know, 38 and 36 because each loss is three times, three times, whatever. So, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't matter who or where, you know, and they, they can say, and there's teams playing really good. Cleveland's playing really good. The Clippers are playing really good. They, they, they just beat us, but you can't just throw everything else away. I mean, I mean, oh, Ty Lue's a great coach. He is. Ty Lue also lost six games in a row this year. Joe Missoula hasn't lost 16, six games in a row this year. Uh, Joe Missoula has, you know, he's won 76% of his games. So as long as you're just dealing with facts and not, well, I don't like Joe Missoula, so he lost 12 games, and that's worse than, than the Detroit Pistons who lost 28 in a row. Richard, who do you fear in the Eastern Conference, and what is your NBA's finals prediction? I don't fear anybody in the Eastern Conference because I'm going. I'm going like this. We'll do like 2K. There's no injuries. Nobody. Yes. No. Nobody's hurt. I don't want. You know. I. I you know. It, it. It stinks that Embiid's hurt. I. I. I want no injuries because if we go go into the league and go into the playoffs, everybody's healthy. I don't see a way to beat this team. They have so many different ways that they can do. They. They actively and aggressively want to play defense. Um, they have they have mismatches that they can utilize throughout the out the court. So someone has to beat them four four out of seven. So there's nobody in the East that they that you can say should beat them. Now, will they end up winning? They, you know, any, anything's possible. But going in, there's no there's no there's no fear. And then in the West, I got I got no idea who's coming out of there. Um, I mean, the Nuggets, you got to look at them because they're the champions, and they're 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 coming back with we you know with their their basic roster intact. You know, if we if we throw us in the caveat no injuries, then you got to do the Clippers because Kawhi. That means Kawhi's going to be there, and he's yeah. he's going to be something. You never know. You could have three three weeks of you know, KD, Booker, and Beal just going supernova. You know, anything's mm. possible. And we we saw that with the stupid Warriors. I mean, we, we you know we we didn't didn't end up winning. I mean, so I mean, you 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 never know. I mean, like, does Minnesota and and Oklahoma City do they buck the trend of being being young and never actually gone that far? I mean, you you never know. OKC did it once before, right? And they made it to the finals. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you sound a lot like Guillermo Diaz. You don't fear anybody. And, and somebody as knowledgeable as you, that makes me as a Celtic fan feel a whole lot better. We want to thank <laughs> Richard White for joining us on our inaugural Lucky's Chats. You can follow him at Ramblin' Wreck, Georgia Tech. Just one more time, everybody. February 28th, strikes for Special Olympics. Derek White will be at King's Bowling Alley on Dalton Street in Boston. You can get information at bowl at specialolympicsma.org so you can email them. And and Richard, thank you so much for joining us. All right. Thank you. And thank you for your service, Ron. Thank, thank you. And we'll see you guys next time on Lucky's Lounge. Let's go Celtics. Go Celtics.